0: You're listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hull United Methodist Church. Be sure to visit us at hopehullumc.org slash sermons, where you can subscribe to future episodes of SermonCast and browse our archive of past messages. Thanks for tuning in. Many of you already know that many years ago I worked at a barbecue restaurant. Worked there all the way through college stayed on a little bit part-time after college, even after I started uh, working as a pastor in the community. One evening, a lady came in to get her supper, and we started having a conversation, as we often do with the customers, and uh, it came up somehow that I was uh, a preacher. And so she asked me a question. She said, what kind of preacher are you? Do you preach Holiness or love? Now take a minute and reflect on the presuppositions that come with a question like that. Which one are you? Holiness or love? What do you think she meant by those terms? Whatever she meant, she seemed to think they were mutually exclusive. It's one or the other, not both. A lot of times when folks carry that sort of framework, they think of holiness in terms of like being really hard on sin, kind of maybe sort of legalistic, maybe the fire and brimstone thing. Don't do this, don't do that. And on the other side is a more loving attitude. Maybe less likely to call things out. Err on the side of just a softer take on sin and ethics and expectation. And just, let's just accept everybody and be loving. She was a little surprised when I said, I'm a Methodist. We preach holy love. Surprised because when we've been at our best, the Methodist Wesleyan tradition at our best, has been able to hold together these two major themes that show up in Scripture that point and reveal the character of God, which most people, or many people anyway, take to be very different and mutually exclusive. You're either going to bring down the hammer, or you're going to sugarcoat. The problem with that distance between holiness and love is that's not the way the scripture talks about it the Apostle Paul takes holiness and love and wraps them together integrates them and interweaves them at the end of first Thessalonians chapter 3 May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, verse 12. And may he so strengthen your hearts in holiness that you may be blameless before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. You see what Paul does there? He's praying, and in the midst of his prayer, he prays that they may abound in love and that they may abound in holiness. He doesn't say, you know, holiness isn't really an option. So let's just love each other. Because after all, we're messed up and we can't embody those aspects of God's character. God's holy, we're not. That's not the way he talks about it, is he? He says, you Thessalonians, I want you to abound in holiness and I want you to abound in love. Two aspects of a faithful Christian life that are wound and woven together. Paul says, this is what I want your life to look like. It's been an emphasis in the Wesleyan Methodist tradition, because John Wesley could see that. And if you were to go to Wesley in the 1800s and say, hey, Mr. Wesley, I hear you talk about holiness a lot, sanctification and those kinds of things. What do you mean by that? You know what he would have said? He would have said first, it's the loving of God with all our heart. Mr. Wesley, what is holiness? His answer is, Love God with all your heart. All your mind, all your soul and strength. He would say this implies that no wrong temper, none contrary to love, remains in the soul. And that all the thoughts, words, and actions are governed by pure love. Mr. Wesley, what does it mean to be holy? It means that all of my thoughts and words and actions are governed by pure love. Pure love. He goes on, pure love filling the heart and governing all the words and actions, pure love reigning, he said, alone in the heart and life. That's a very different understanding of holiness than what the customer that night was probably assuming holiness meant. Holiness, Wesley says, is pure love reigning alone. There's no competition for the throne of my heart. Jesus has all of it. Wesley was so committed to that because he read Paul. He read passages like First Thessalonians three, twelve and thirteen, where holiness and love are brought together. Wesley understood that God wants His people to be holy because he read it in the Scriptures. He understood that God wants His people to be full of love. That's what that means because he read it in the Scriptures. He understood that these are not in competition. Rather, they are the same thing. The one goes with the other. They're not mutually exclusive. It's both or neither for Wesley. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love. May he so strengthen your hearts in holiness. The Apostle Paul wants the Thessalonians to grow in those two aspects of God's character. They go hand in hand. And that means the bottom line for Paul is that true holiness is holy love. True holiness is holy love. And the first Methodists believe that God raised them up to declare that good news to their neighbors and the nations. True holiness is holy love. So what does that look like? What does holy love look like? For Paul, for us, it begins for Paul... With self-sacrifice, self-giving, self-denial, considering others more important than me. And you can see how this shows up in the letter. Paul has already, earlier in chapter 2, described the nature of his ministry with the Thessalonians. He's reminded them of how he came to them and he poured his energy into their community and, and he worked so as not to be a burden to them and he he cared for them as a, a, a parent to a child or a nurse to a patient. It's just this over and over self-sacrifice, self-giving love and all of that after he had suffered for preaching the gospel. He had been persecuted and wrongly imprisoned and flogged in nearby cities and and When he showed up in Thessalonica, other believers were physically assaulted because Paul was around and they had showed kindness to him and Paul was preaching the gospel and they had associated with him. So even after he had suffered, he still denied himself. He didn't run off to seek shelter. He didn't run away from the danger. He threw himself in full bore all the way because holy love means self-sacrifice self-giving, self-denial. It's other-oriented love. It's focused on God and neighbor for the Apostle Paul. And in that way, it's about embodying the character of Jesus, isn't it? Because Jesus, after all, is the one who said, if you want to be my followers... You have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. There's this self-giving love for Jesus. Like, I love Jesus more than other things, and so I want to offer myself to follow him, even if it means sacrifice, and even if it means the end of my life. I mean, that's what crosses are about, aren't they? holiness and its self-sacrificial character is about embodying the character of Jesus now here's the thing the question is whether we believe Jesus's grace is powerful powerful enough to reproduce his character in our bodies There's a lot of people Kind of say, well, hey, preacher, that's kind of a neat story. Sounds really great, but I know myself too well. There's no way I could embody that kind of character. But Paul seems to think Jesus can do it in us. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another May he so strengthen your hearts in holiness that you may be blameless before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. For Paul, this isn't, all right, I'm gonna follow Jesus today, I'm gonna to give it all I got, I'm gonna try harder, and I'm gonna identify things in my life that aren't like Jesus, I'm gonna work really hard, I'm gonna get sanctified. For Paul, we've given the wrong the right verb to the wrong person. <laughs> Don't give it to me, give it to Jesus. It's the Lord Jesus Christ who makes us abound in love. He is the one who makes His people holy. And that's why it's a work of grace. Then the question is simply this. What's more powerful? My sin or His grace? What's bigger, my sin or his grace? Which will win, my sin or Jesus' grace? How would you answer that question? Really, how would you answer the question? Grace always wins. Our sin is not infinite in power. The Lord Jesus Christ is. And he's infinite in his glory and in his goodness and in his perfect love. And that perfect love longs to abound in our lives. That's why Paul says in Romans, where sin abounds, grace super abounds. Where sin shows up, grace floods in all the more. Right? But grace in the way Paul thinks of it in Romans and 1 Thessalonians, isn't about, you know, well, you know, you're going to make mistakes and we're going to love you and accept you and just kind of sweep it under the rug and pretend it didn't happen and just, you know, soft, syrupy stuff like that. For Paul, grace is, I love you too much to let you make decisions that will destroy your life. So I'm going to be here for you, I'm going to walk with you, I'm going to pray for you. That those are the means of grace. Grace isn't ignoring sin. It engages and transforms it. That's how the character of Jesus gets reproduced, and it's His character of self-giving love, self-sacrificial love, love that is oriented towards the people he desires to redeem. It's a very different take on holiness than the lists of rules and boxes to take, isn't it? But that's what the Bible says. True holiness is holy love. That looks like sacrificial ministry embodied in Jesus himself who has the grace and the power to re- and the desire, perhaps as importantly as all the others, to reproduce that in his people. And that means true holiness means decreasing sin. At the end of the day, sin is about love. At the end of the day, sin is a question of love. The Apostle Paul is worried about the Thessalonians. He says, He wanted to come to them again, so he visited, started the church, moved on to other places, heard that they were suffering, wants to go back and check on them. Verse 18, chapter 2, verse 18, we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, wanted to come again and again. We longed with great eagerness to see your face, but we were blocked Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we decided to be left alone. He's in Athens, Greece, and sends Timothy. He's got this kind of cohort of people on his ministry team. Paul says, Timothy, you have to go back to Thessalonica. I'll stay here in Athens, but you go check on them. See how they're doing. I've heard that they're suffering, and I'm worried, Paul says, that the tempter, the Satan, has tempted them, and that our work has been in vain. He means he's worried that they've fallen away from the faith. says, for this reason, I could bear it no longer. Timothy, go find out about their faith. Paul wants to make sure that they are persevering. And when Timothy comes back, he reports about their faith and their love. Because love, sin, is a question of where our love is aimed. The Thessalonians are persevering because they love Jesus more than the alternatives. And what are the alternatives? Well, they could cave to the pressure. They could give in. I could say, enough is enough. I'm not going through this anymore. Back to the temple of Zeus. <laughs> like, forget Jesus. We're going back over there. So they'll leave us alone and stop putting on the pressure. The question is about who do we love more? Do I love Jesus more or do I love something else more? Do I love Jesus more or do I love my sin more and here's the thing friends right we cannot love jesus and rebel against him at the same time let me think about it right if i'm loving jesus (laughs) i'm not going to be coveting my neighbor's stuff If I'm loving Jesus, I'm not going to be engaging in deceit. I mean, pick anyone. If I'm loving Jesus, my heart is not going to be filled with malice towards another person. If I'm loving Jesus, my heart is not going to be filled with greed. If I'm loving Jesus, I'm not going to be making choices based out of my self-interest, but out of my love for Jesus. We have to stop loving Jesus to start sinning. I mean, that seems to me very straightforward. Like if my eyes are on Jesus and I'm chasing after Him and I'm surrendered to Him, His love is going to be abundant in my life. And if I take my eyes off of Him and put them on some idol, whatever it is, it could be my career, could be my entertainment. Things that are okay in their place, but when they become something we worship other than Jesus or more than Jesus, we have to stop loving Jesus to love those things. Sin isn't just about breaking the law or something. Sin is about saying, Jesus, I love that more than you. So think about that next time. You find a heart tempted and pulled away. Who do I love Jesus more right now, in this moment? Or who do I love more right now in this moment, Jesus or me? The way we answer that question will be a very, very, very accurate diagnostic about our holiness. If we are loving Jesus, we will be sinning less. If we are surrendered to him, we will be sinning less. And friends, this is what the gospel is about. Right? The Lord Jesus Christ did not merely die so that we could be forgiven and live the rest of our lives doing the same thing that he needed to die for. Jesus did not die for us so that we could keep sinning. I mean, how ridiculous does that sound anyway? Son of God, taken on flesh, tortured to death, thorns in his head and face and back stripped to raw meat hanging from the bone Nails and spikes in his limbs and spear in his side. All so you can just sort of go on loving something else more. And just try to imagine Jesus reigning at the right hand of God the Father all right, Almighty with scars in his hands saying, by all means, go ahead. Whatever, you, whatever else you want to love other than me, by, by all means. It's ridiculous. Jesus holds out his nail-scarred hands to say, I've not only come to forgive you, very much I've done that, but even more so, I've come to set you free from the darkness, free from the habits, free from the destructive patterns free from the slavery I've come to set you free so that your life doesn't have to be marked by deception and greed and malice and and covetousness and all of these things that no one enjoys because it's slavery and damaging to us and our people we love Jesus says I didn't suffer so you could stay in that condition Suffered so you could be free. Brothers and sisters, Jesus died to make us holy. And he was raised. And now the resurrected Lord offers his spirit to dwell within his people so that our love can be oriented in its fullness towards Jesus loves us and gave himself for us. The gospel is about holiness. Holy love means our love is oriented to Jesus and not to the sin in our lives. And that, friends, means that holiness is ultimately about joy and wholeness and flourishing about a life well lived because it's a life lived in Christ a life where our affections our passions our loves embody and project and magnify the passions and the loves of the Lord Jesus Christ. Empowered by his spirit as a work of grace. Holiness is about more joy. Listen to the way Paul talks about it. Chapter 2, verse 19. What is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you, Yes, you are our glory and our joy. Paul has given his life sacrificially in ministry and in love to the Thessalonians. And it is a joy to him. The fruit in their lives, the faithfulness they exhibit, is a joy to Paul. Some of your parents may have had an experience like this with your kids. You work hard, you do your best. Try to raise them right. And then they do something and it makes you proud. And you have that sense of the sacrifice was worth it. Joy. Pastors get to experience this from time to time. To see a life change, to see someone take another step. To see Jesus work in The lives of the people in the church in a way that launches them forward. You are my joy. For Paul, that joy is the heart of holiness. 3 verse 9 how can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we feel before God because of you self-giving love poured into the mission of Christ in such a way that a church bears fruit and faithfulness is a gift of God that issues forth in joy like holiness isn't about bringing down the hammer friends it's about cultivating joy one of the great lies is that God has a list of expectations that he wants to use to take your fun and spoil your game and steal your joy in the Bible God is not the killjoy. In this passage, God is the one who gives joy. He's the life of the party. Who's the killjoy? I wanted to come to you again and again, but Satan blocked our way. The demons of hell would have us believe that God doesn't want us to have any fun. The fun is with them. Do whatever you want. Satisfy yourself. Give in to the temptation. Look out for number one. The enemy is the one who keeps Paul from the people who are his joy. Satan is is the cosmic kill joy the lord jesus christ the holy spirit god the father almighty offer us unparalleled unhindered joy abundant and unmeasured and we run from it don't we to other things to silly things to ugly things, to dark things, deluded by the lies that those things will satisfy us. True holiness is holy love, it's what it means to be fully human. It's abundant joy in Jesus Christ. You've been listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hole United Methodist Church. If you enjoyed this message, consider sharing it with a few friends. Remember to visit us at hopeholeumcorg sermons and subscribe to get notified when new content is posted. Thanks for listening.